0: Straight from WCHL Studios and live from the NCAA Tournament, its sibling rivalry sports with Chris and C.L. Brown. Joining the Brews Brothers this week is Washington Post college basketball columnist Jerry Brewer. Say it with me. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. That's a chantable name with a bad chant rep. How is it every Jerry's fault that the one guy likes to have scripted fights disguised as talk shows? Give the Jerry chant new life, people, here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. Jerry, 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 Jerry. Thank you for calling March Madness Bracket Support Line, brought to you by Movie Phone por favor. This line serves to help you cope with your progress of your bracket choices into the Sweet 16. Please listen to menu options carefully and choose the best option for you. Please press 1 if your bracket is perfect. Okay, nobody pressed that. Please press 2 if your bracket has one loss. Okay, nobody press that. Please press three if your bracket is obliterated by an impossible-to-foresee UC Irvine win. Boop. Please press one if you thought Yale would do more. Boop. Please press one if you are mad at your bracket. Please press two if you are sad at your bracket. Please press three if you would like to go back in time and make that pick you knew you should have made in the first place. Boop. Hi. You've reached the ultimate cure for bracket blues. Sit back, relax, and listen in to another awesome episode of Sibling Rivalry Swartz. CL! What's good, man? I,
1: uh, <laughs> I picked see Irvine. I don't know what you thought about
0: uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? You could have let somebody in on that pick. You could have given a little heads up to a brother.
1: I, I told you, you Sierra. I didn't say they would win because I didn't know for sure they'd win. But they were one of uh, one of the double digit teams that I gave a chance. Same with I picked New Mexico State. They lost, so you know, so you, you tend to split even, break even, but. Um, yeah, it's been a chalky, chalky kind of tournament, though. It's a different kind of year. The favorites ain't playing around.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, I don't know. I think it's been, I think it's been enjoyable and, uh, you know, exciting and everything like that. So, you know, it just, uh, I mean, hey, you know, I, I saw an article about one guy. That NCAA.com found out of millions the one guy whose bracket remains perfect. And so we'll, we'll see if uh, that guy can keep it. I don't, I don't think so myself.
1: Probably not, but good for him <laughs> to outlast everybody else.
0: There you go. He was seeing how awesome that is. Okay. Well, without further ado, it's time for the big playback.
1: The big payback. playback.
0: Lend us your consonant for the big playback, and we'll tell you no lies. The topic this week, going into the Final Four, as, as we head to the Final Four, which number one seed would need to enter the Final Four the most? Which number one seed needs it the most? CL.
1: Well, uh, I'll let you start first on this one, because I, I have, a, I have a, a bit of a nuance. Actually, it's not nuanced. It's a bit of a reach, but I have a different kind of
0: take. Hey, by the way, uh, you know, I, I, I always like to point out what, what you're up to and everything. Uh, will you just tell everybody where you are? Because, again, CL is live on location at the tourney. So where are you this week, CL?
1: I am at the East Regional Finals uh, where Duke is, Virginia Tech. They, they have first game up in LSU and Michigan State. Uh, we'll have the next game on Friday. And uh, I'm fully expecting it to be a Duke-Michigan State Elite Eight game to decide who goes to the Final Four on Sunday.
0: All right, all right. And so right now, Virginia Tech is having a shoot-around, yes?
1: Yes, and we're about to get kicked out here shortly when they close practice to the media. So, uh, so you won't hear any balls bouncing after a couple of minutes.
0: But. That's okay. It's a nice so, ambiance. Okay. It's a nice Still That's all right. All right. Okay, so uh, well, you know, I'm going to probably go with what people might think is obvious or maybe not, maybe not. I'm going to go with number 1 seed Virginia, though. I think Virginia needs the final 4 appearance the most. Help me with this, CL, because uh, you, you're the one who uh, turned me out of this. But they they've made they've been number one seeds for the last six years. Is that right?
1: That is correct. 2014, uh, 2016, when they had the big lead on Syracuse and Syracuse rallied to win um, and, and uh, advance to the Final Four. Last year's uh, debacle. Mm-hmm. There's no other way <laughs> to put no it. No other way to describe it. Losing to UMBC for the first time at one C, losing to sixteen, and uh, now we have this year. Different team, different year, of course, but you know, same challenge. Tony Bennett has established himself as one of the best co- coaches in the country. True. So, and uh, now he's got the, as you're alluding to, he's got the best best coach to not get to the Final Four right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, personally, I think that that, that monkey would be thrown off his back. Uh, this season, but yeah, that's that's my take on it. I think Virginia's is, is the one that needs to go ahead and make that statement the most. By the way, we just heard a horn in the background. Either you're about to get hit by a Mack truck, or they're clearing y'all out.
1: Uh, actually, they're not clearing us out yet. That was that was more for whatever Virginia Tech is, how they regiment, you know, their practice regimen. Um, that was probably just to go from one drill to the next.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. All right, well, what's your take? What is your nuanced but not nuanced take?
1: Well, the, the word need is where I pause here because Carolina does not need to get to another Final Four to, to validate anything. Mm-hmm. But I think it would benefit them the most out of the schools remaining because uh, it puts a bigger stage, a bigger spotlight on Kobe White and Nasir Little and I point those two guys out specifically as freshmen because there, there's been a perception, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, there's been a perception of Roy Williams not somehow he doesn't like one-and-done players, he, he holds back freshmen, um, that that's existed. You know, I really feel like it it kind of took, a, took hold during the same time where uh, the NCAA investigation was taking place over – uh, over the classes, and I think that, uh, that it's kind of taken hold. I mean, you know, for a while, I, I don't think it was just the investigation which kept Carolina from getting some of the elite guys. I think there's a uh, negative recruiting against Roy Williams that also contributed to that, and, you know, they pointed to examples you know, of, of Harrison Barnes staying, uh, extra year, of, of James Michael McAdoo being a top-ten guy who ended up, Staying three years and and not getting drafted um, so you, you know you, you had kind of some some examples to work with and people took that and ran with it um, and the fact that he'd only had Marvin Williams and Brendan Wright before that as one, in, one and one of done guys uh, obviously Tony Bradley went after the 2017 national championship team but I think if they go this year basically you would have to look at Kobe White as a major reason why, obviously. True. Um, and Kobe White, by all accounts, will probably be a lottery pick uh, should he decide to come out. Uh, which, I, just my guess, I believe he would. And uh, and also, Nasir Little is still being looked at as a first round pick, and he's you know somebody that's still coming off the bench right now. So I just think I just think if Carolina goes with those guys playing the role that they're playing this year um, on the team, uh, it, it would it would break through some barriers, so to speak, for Roy Williams uh, on his recruiting trail.
0: Now that's a well-made point. Let's talk nastier a little for a second. It fascinates me what he's done this season and even more what Coach Roy has done with him in the tournament, um, inserting him strategically, that athleticism wreaking havoc um, inside on in these games, and, uh, and it's a different look than necessarily what we've seen uh, you know, during the season and whatnot. But let me ask you this. Na- okay, so Nassar Little has been uber-patient this year with his playtime and that type of thing, right? I mean, when you've interacted with him from what you've observed, he's been patient, yes? Uh, yeah, I think that's... Uh... Accurate way to to describe him?
1: Less patient. Um, I, I would just say he's been accepting, like he's accepted his role. He hasn't been somebody who's, you know, uh, obviously he could have listened to a lot of the chatter from outside the locker room and been some kind of malcontent, but he's never been that way. He's been somebody who came in, was wanting to learn, uh, was willing to learn, was, was, uh, uh, Roy Williams, has said, numbers numerous times that uh, he's been somebody who's accepted coaching and he's been somebody who's been uh, willing to admit when he doesn't know something and ask the right questions about, you know, getting it corrected. So um, he's, he's by all accounts done all the right things and, uh, and it's, it's paying off for him now.
0: Okay. So then quickly, the big question, as we run out of time here for the segment quickly, would he not, Continue to be patient. I guess I'll, ca- I'll 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 couch it in any circumstance except for winning the championship. Why wouldn't he continue to be patient and learn and, and stick around?
1: Uh, well, I could flip the I could flip it back on you and say why why would why wouldn't he leave? Why why would he stay? Because he, regardless of if they win a championship or not, he would have you know served his year, if you will. Um, and and the NBA now is just totally different. Like I think people still think in old school terms of they're drafting a product or a player who can contribute immediately and that kind of thing where they don't do that anymore. They draft on potential. They draft on what they think they might be able to develop you into. and uh, And if you're going to be a first-round guy, then – I say go, you know, um, by, by all accounts. Because there's no guarantee that if you stay a second year, it's going to mean you're going to grow the same way or whatever, you're going to grow exponentially. It just means you're spending another year in college where your flaws could be exposed. You could end up dropping in a draft. You could end up at bad timing where there's a, there's a better recruiting class that came after you and there's more people. You know, there, there are a lot of wild cards that play here. So... My, my thoughts on the NBA for a prospect is you strike when the iron's hot. That's
0: it. Hmm. Well, if they draft on potential, then that, that raises some questions I'm going to ask you later about Taco Fall from Central Florida. But that's another topic altogether. Uh, for now, we are going to cut to our sponsors. But you definitely want to return again for another great guest here on Sibling Rivalry Sports. We have Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. He is a columnist. Also, as CL describes him, wonder kid. You'll see why. You'll see why. Come on back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill.
1: Back to 97.9, the Hill, the sibling rivalry sports show. We have a guest with us that I've known for almost, what, 20 years, I think, uh, going back to riding the media shuttle to the uh, 1998 baseball inauguration, Hall of Fame inauguration. Jerry Brewer with the Washington Post. You remember that ride, Jerry?
2: I do remember that ride, man. It's the only time I've been in Cooperstown. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
0: Glad to see Cooperstown is such a draw for you gentlemen.
2: <laughs> you know, I love it and there was time I wanted to go when Griffey got inducted. Oh, but I mean, yeah. Cooperstown is so remote and like just that, that yeah. the idea of going there and it's going to be nothing but baseball for as long as you're there. <laughs> uh <laughs> I can watch it on TV. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Way I'm to hard, go. Hard pass on that. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, it's kind of funny. It is opening day today, and we're we're going to talk about uh, that later. But we want you for the college hoops. Yes, sir. 16 starting up tonight. Um, we have our local teams going tomorrow with Duke and Carolina both playing on Friday. But, uh well, I wanted to just kind of get a general overview right now on on how you feel about this the bracket just kind of being as chalky as it ended up. I mean, Oregon's the only double digit seed uh, out there, and uh, I think they said it was more of the top four seeds uh, advancing to the Sweet Sixteen than any other tournament before. What, what what's your take on why it's it's ended up being so uh, the, so tilted towards the favorites?
2: Well, I think it's because the favorites are really good this year, and I think throughout the course of the season uh you know if you were paying any attention you you really saw it i mean the 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 top tier has pretty consistently been the top tier, and it's been hard for anyone even for a week or two to bust into that top tier uh the second tier has been kind of the second tier the third tier has been kind of the third tier, so it doesn't surprise me that that the tournament has gone this way. Uh, you would think there would be one or two more, you know, maybe we could have had a, a, a seven seed breakthrough, or uh, maybe one more double digit seed breakthrough, just because the tournament can be such a crap shoot and you can catch a team uh, on the wrong, or I guess if you're the underdog on the right night, but uh, these teams are really solid. And I think, uh, you know, Duke is really the only true um, one-and-done type of team in this scenario this year with, with just a heavy amount of one-and-done players leading them. And I think that's a part of it as well. I mean, we're talking about teams like Virginia, teams like uh, North Carolina, teams like Michigan, Michigan State. They have cores of players uh, who have been through this thing before. And I think uh, that makes you a little bit more uh, tournament tough.
1: Speaking of Duke, uh, you were also there at Columbia last week uh, watching them play UCF. What were your thoughts on that game? Did UCF provide the blueprint? Uh, I mean, is Duke very vulnerable now, or was that just kind of, as you mentioned, as just one of those games in a tournament that you tough through, but
2: the favorites still prevail? And they did provide the blueprint. You got to have a seven foot six center uh, who could just cover up the basket. You got to have a coach who was a star player at Duke who coached under 10 years. And it would help if you had a coach's son uh, who had been around the Blue Devils his entire life and was just waiting to put 30 on him. And other than that, there is no blueprint. Uh, I think it was just. It, Hey, it, it was a great game by, yes. by Johnny Dawkins, by Aubrey Dawkins, uh, by uh, you know everyone associated with UCF. And I think we kind of have to leave it at that. Um, what it says about Duke is something that I think we've talked all year. They are a really good team, but they are a really spare team. And by that I mean there's just not a lot to them. What they have is great. Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, uh, the talent of Cam Reddish, um, the, the the court savvy of Trey Jones. And then you just kind of like pause and you're like, well, where's the rest of them? Um, mm-hmm. They're built so that, th- so that these dynamic freshmen um, kind of have the room to do what they do. Uh, but there's not a lot behind them. And I think that's what gets them in trouble in terms of, being able to sustain their style of play throughout the entire game. And also, just uh, things such as uh, not a good free throw shooting team. They're not a good three point shooting team. But so much of them is just, you know, can we create enough space on the floor so Zion and RJ and a little bit of Cam can do their thing and then just let Trey Jones set the table? And I think. Uh, that's where they can get beat. It's just, you know, if a team can make life hard on Zion and make life a little hard on R.J., but then be able to play, play a complete game. And that was, I mean, the most concerning thing that came from that game is UCF just flat out saying we're not going to guard Trey Jones. And Trey Jones just, you know, very, he just he didn't do enough even though he made a, a big shot down the stretch, he didn't do enough to uh, to kind of dissuade uh, future opponents from doing the same thing if they dare against it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah so Jerry uh, you know we're gonna keep looking forward but I do have one more or uh, one question looking back here especially considering that you uh, had some time in your career out in the Seattle the Pacific Northwest area I did want to ask you and, and and you know this is relevant to our local Chapel Hill audience and seeing how, how you're a hill topper I'm sure that you, you that word hill you got you see that there's that that you know relatedness and I know that you care about Chapel Hill so uh, let's go ahead and ask you this question <laughs> hey, what about University of Washington? What would you say to their fan base about the season and their showing and everything like that? Was that, you know, kind of a surprise to you? Well, I know it wasn't a surprise because you cover basketball, but you know, was it what you expected? And and going forward, what can people look for?
2: I, I thought it was a, a, a good a, a good year for them to to uh, to, to rise up. I mean, we are talking about. Um, a team that hadn't been to the tournament in eight years. True. The last time they had been to the tournament was when uh, Isaiah Thomas and and, and that group kind of scared scared Duke or excuse me scared Carolina a little bit, um, and w- w- which was a fabulous game. I mean, yeah. it was Terrence Ross and Isaiah Thomas and and those guys um, uh, against um, a really a really solid. Uh, Carolina team and it's been you know almost a decade later they hadn't returned to the tournament uh, they're a tough team to play against because uh, they've got that that, that zone um, you know brought over from Syracuse and they've got some athletes but now they have a senior class that is turning over and the question is you know now as they turn it over and they get younger again uh, can they sustain things? And I think they can. You know, getting Isaiah Stewart, uh, maybe the best center um, in in the high school class, uh, is really going to help them. And, uh, you know, they just have to finish their recruiting class. But I think you're going to see the University of Washington in the tournament pretty regularly over the next five or six years
0: nice okay and you're uh, you know you have a recent column on the washington post which uh, has the headline which uh, separates this virginia what separates this virginia team from its ncaa busts nba talent could you elaborate on that
2: yeah it's interesting you know when you think about uh, what virginia has and and what virginia has been and, and they've always had a mike scott or a... Malcolm Brogdon or Justin Anderson, they haven't had a beast quite like DeAndre Hunter. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, who absolutely should go in the top seven picks of the NBA draft. You know, maybe even in the top five. Uh, you look at them, and uh, Ty Jerome is starting to get some first-round buzz, and, and I think that's legit. Like I, I think he um, is someone as a secondary ball handler and a shooter um, can play a role in the NBA. And then you look, you know, even further down the line. I mean, like a little guy like uh, Kyle Guy, who can really shoot the basketball and has a nice court savvy. If he can get better with his ball skills and, and stay one more year, uh, I do think he is a draftable player. Virginia has not had three guys this close to the NBA during to- Tony Bennett's tenure. As a matter of fact, there are four Bennett-coached players from Virginia currently in the NBA. And you're going to add at least two and maybe three to that. And that kind of tells you how things have changed. They're not just a team that is using a system to kind of manipulate things so that they can play with the so-called big boys. They now have big boys in a system that is difficult to play. And sort of the conflict for Virginia right now is how much do you let those guys play versus how much do you slow the game down and play the way that you've always played. I would argue if they want to get out of this weekend and they want to go to the Final Four, they need to loosen up things just a little bit.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, I wanted to see, Jerry, who, who do you have in your Final Four and who you ultimately have cutting down the Nets?
2: I've got... You know, one of the most boring Final Fours that I've ever had. (laughs) But at least it's all still alive, unlike last year. Last year, I think I had two teams that I had picked for the Final Four already gone. But um, I've got Duke, uh, Gonzaga. I've got Tennessee over Virginia in the South region. And then I've got North Carolina. And I would be shocked if at least three of those teams don't make it through this weekend. You know, once again, it's just that the the upper tier, you know, the first tier is just so good this year. And some of these teams, you know, Gonzaga and North Carolina in particular, uh, Tennessee would also be in that. They've been through so much that I think they've got so much experience that it's going to be hard uh, to overcome them when you really – Apply the pressure that teams are going to feel this week. Yeah,
1: uh, with your North Carolina pick, we kind of talked about this last week, of course, off the air. But um, Kentucky, if PJ Washington is is healthy, if if that foot isn't a problem, how do you see that game? Did you pick Carolina without, you know, without regard to whether or not he's a hundred percent or? Was it? Did you kind of hedge it after you found out? You know, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't going to play that opening weekend, and you know, just leading to all the questions about his health.
2: I was Carolina before PJ Washington, um, and I just, I just think they're. I think they're better. Um, I think they're they're a little more versatile, and, and they're kind of certain of who they are. I'm not sure, guys, that that Kentucky is going to get past Houston. I think that has a chance to be a a great game. And I'm just not – I mean, they really – if they're thinking – if Kentucky is thinking, let's try to rest P.J. Washington for the Elite Eight, you're going to have to use P.J. Washington to get past Houston. I mean, I really like that team. they got a hard edge. Uh, Mind you, I'm a little biased because I spent three days with that Houston team before the tournament began, and so I got to really know what they're all about. Um, but I really do like that team, and that's a tough game. But Carolina just, uh, Carolina's just a little bit, they're head and shoulders above Kentucky on just a experience. Um, I think that um, while they aren't necessarily player for player as talented as Kentucky is, they're plenty talented, especially through their their, their top eight of their rotation. And... They're just tested, uh, you know, having having to go against um, Duke three times, even though they had they got to play Zion without Zion twice, um, having to go through Virginia, um, all of that. I mean, I just I think they're a little a little a little better um, defensively than some of Roy's teams, um, and I just I think there's a toughness about them that I really like. And they can go and and if you if you want to play a half court game against them, uh, I think they've got the bigs to stand up, and you absolutely can't run with them. And so, I just like there's more opportunities for North Carolina to win. I think they can win in the 60s, and you know they can win a game that's going to be in the 80s. And that's just I think Kentucky is a team that. Um, you know, really needs to kind of manage the game, and they want to keep that game, you know, between 65 and about 74 points. And um, I think North Carolina just has more ways that they can beat them.
0: Nice. I just felt a ratings bump here in the uh, Chapel Hill area. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey Jerry, I, I'm a huge football fan, and I cannot. I would be remiss if I did not mention your your book, your work that is available right now on Amazon, um, called "Pass Judgment," uh, inside the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl season and the play that dashed a dream. That sounds fascinating. And folks, it's only two ninety nine. I'm gonna. I'm sure that'll be read by the morning by me. I wish I'd seen that before. Um, but uh, just w- any 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 comments on that? What, what would you just tell us about that? You know, just quickly.
2: Yeah, just going back and remember, you know, the, the game between the the New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks. I guess the Patriots would call it famous. Seattle would call it infamous, but just how that game came down to that pass at the end and Russell Wilson throwing the interception, uh, so much of it was, okay, this happened. How do the Seahawks recover or not recover is basically the gist of the story. And it's a really fascinating look at uh, the culture um, of a team and, and how you kind of recover and revert back to your culture um, when, when you've had a dream shattered in this way. Everything that, they've known, everything that they knew, their world got turned upside down on one play call, and ultimately it's the coach's fault. How do you go back and trust each other and trust that coaching staff again? And that's ultimately what it's to look
0: at. Nice. Yeah, just even your cover there with Russell Wilson taking his helmet. It looks like it's he's walking off right after the play, taking his helmet off. That that to me is fascinating looking. So that's Yeah, I'm going to check that out.
2: That's back when he was curly-haired Russell Wilson. He should have cut his hair before. <laughs> <the
0: basketball. laughs> yeah. And and the full beard and mustache, right? Yeah, the full <laughs> yes. the full facial hair look. All right. Cool.
2: See Bruce, that you was don't before know. Sierra loved him. <laughs> <laughs> Chris uh, used to be
1: a big Seattle fan of uh, Bru and and he betrayed them when he decided to become a Baltimore Ravens fan.
0: So yeah, that is that that is an angle. That's the you know, that's an angle on that, <laughs> that story, Brewer. Uh you know, I yeah, I lived You're in Seattle a for a decade. Ba- yeah. thank you, sir. I lived I lived in Seattle for a decade and yeah, definitely while I was out there and before there were a Baltimore Ravens team that existed, yeah, I was a huge Seahawks fan. Now that was def that was I was there for the first Super Bowl, so that was you know, before Russell Wilson's time came around. Um but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still interesting. He dressed
1: it up, however he got <laughs> But But uh, our time is up. <laughs> Jerry, we really appreciate you being on with us, Sam. Uh, for the listeners, please come on back on the other side of this break to 97.9 The Hill and the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show.
0: Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we have our March Madness Chill. Here in North Carolina, March Madness Chill means you're wearing shorts and a tank. But anyway, uh, it's also not just the month, but it's the event, the largest event of the year, according to C.L. Brown. And right now he's in D.C. What's going on at that region right now, C.L.?
1: Well, just... uh Michigan State trickling in the building right now. Uh, a few had out. Duke still hadn't arrived yet. They're going to be the last group uh, interviewed. Um, so it's still kind of slow motion right now. But uh, everything is proceeding forward.
0: Yes, yes, to the excitement. All right, well, let's talk. Let's just shift gears for a second here and for the first time in a couple of weeks' talk Some football. Talk some football because CL there's I, I just it was a head slapper, you know, if we were doing emojis right now. In fact I might I might go ahead and tweet out a couple of these emojis of the head slap because when I saw this news item come across the ticker, the old ticker there I slap my head. I uh, "Are you serious? What else can the arena, I mean, the Alliance of American Football, uh, go through in their inaugural season? They they've they've lost, you know, their primary investor, and, and and there was a fear that they wouldn't be able to make payroll. And then they 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 got another primary investor. They're sued by somebody who who claims that you know he was one. Uh, he he is owed because he is one of the original uh, uh, thought masters behind this league." come on. So now what it is is uh, they might fold after this weekend. They might fold because the NFLPA um apparently is saying that there there there's an issue with the NFL's idea of allowing for practice squad players. To, to be on loan from the NFL to the AAF uh, because of you know protecting physically you know their 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 injury status and what happens if they get injured while playing in the AAF. And so um, Tom Dundon, Dundon says the uh, yeah. yeah thank you he says he and he, you know he's the uh, chief investor of of the uh, Alliance. He says that without, that without that participation, that the AF can't be a developmental league. And so they, they would consider their options without that, one of which is folding, a ceasing business. So, wow. An- another, I mean, it's just, the league, the league it, amazingly enough, they're doing well. They're still one of the top apps, and when I say top, I mean top three free apps out there that the AAF and also their their ratings continue to remain strong and it was helped by uh you know Johnny Manziel signing on which we'll touch on later so, how yeah, what do you what do you think about this latest development is it is it another bump in the road they're going to get over or is this the end this this coming weekend
1: well i, I think it's posturing right now i think i think they came out to try and uh force some hands and and Maybe even get the NFL more involved directly with trying to uh, trying to persuade the NFLPA into you know coming to some kind of compromise and finding finding a common ground to to get the players they they feel like they need to supplement the league. But I, I would find it hard to believe with the original investors or with uh, Tom Dundon coming on, whatever. I would find it very hard to believe that. Uh, that they had this in place for this season, like they needed to get an agreement with the NFL in terms of having
2: those players this season.
1: Like I, I it, it just doesn't seem right. It seems like your your plan would be to build with what you have first, and then that would be the long term goal. So, I, it, to me, it just seems like they're trying to put this on fast forward and uh, and speed up the process of, of becoming officially affiliated with the NFL.
0: CL, may I respond, though, that uh, t- Tom Dunden was not the CEO at the beginning of the season so he's come in with his 250 million to underwrite, you know, the league going forward but he he also hasn't just plopped that down on the table it's an incremental feed to the league and and what it looks like to me is that he's saying you know I'm not going to I'm not going to invest that if we're not, you know, going down the road if we don't have the assurance that we're truly going to be a developmental league because you know the quarterbacks the types of players especially offensive linemen especially offensive linemen that are on pre- Practice squads could really upgrade the the level of football that you see on the field in the AF. And he's, I think he's saying uh, that. And I agree with. I think Pro Football Talk said that they don't believe that he's posturing; that he is being real. And he's just saying, I'm not going to invest my money if if th- going forward this is not going to be something that's happening. I mean, it, it, I mean, I will say that it's a great, you know, stra- strategic chess play. I mean, it is. You know, but wow, this is it. I mean, this weekend, and that, wow, that's it. Well, I mean,
1: I think from the beginning, uh, I believe that a spring football league could work, but uh, this just goes to show, you know, um, how difficult it is for everything to come in play for, for a league to kind of, a newbie league. Without the support of the NFL to just kind of sustain itself, but I still, I don't care what pro football said. I feel like it's it's posturing. You don't you don't make an investment of that size, even if it is incremental payments, and he hadn't paid the the total yet, uh, without you know having having a long term plan, without knowing that there might be some some waves in between. You know, it getting from the startup to to where it is. Fully self-sustaining and, and running how you want it to. So, um, yeah, I, I just feel like this is you know, this, this, these are businessmen at work trying trying to trying to drum up what they need, the resources they need, or they feel they need to have the league. Succeed.
0: All right. Well, we're going to continue to drum up topics with our world famous one day, world famous brownout segment, which is coming up next, right here. Keep it locked to 97.9 The Hill, Sibling Rivalry Sports. Thank you, sponsors, for keeping us on the air. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Guess what?
3: It's time to dim the lights for the brownout. The brownout. Oklahoma sports reporter Dylan Buckingham tweeted, Anyone else think this NCAA tournament has been hot garbage? Is he right? Is it hot garbage, CL? <laughs> no, I mean.
1: I think in most tournaments, to begin with, people like seeing the little guys do damage early on, but ultimately it all comes back to the Blue Bloods, the tradition-rich programs. That's, those are the games we want to see decide championships, and that will be the case this year. So uh, so not, not that many upsets, but who cares? It's the tournament.
0: Thank you. I, I'm not I'm not even that upset with how things have gone. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, I mean, hey, the Duke-Central Florida game, that was a very entertaining game from start to finish, even before the game that was entertaining, you know, and I also think that Carolina, the games that have been entertaining, you know, other games have been entertaining. I'm good with it. I'm, you know what, See, I think I like it better than last season for some reason. It might be how confident I am in this Carolina
3: team. Maybe that's it.
1: I'm sure that has fun to do. <laughs> Next
3: question. The Wall Street Journal reported that former 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick and his former teammate safety Eric Reed each received less than $10 million in the settlement of their collusion grievances against the NFL. Does this diminish the Kaepernick win?
0: Ooh, the
3: settlement. What do you
0: think, CL? I mean, cap one,
1: whether it was $2 or $20 million like he won. They had to settle because they didn't want their dirty laundry being aired. And I, I think this was a leak from the league to somehow try and make it seem like uh, like he came out on the loose end or like he compromised something just to settle with the league. But they lost. Take that L. <laughs> Keep it moving.
0: You know what is interesting is you know, there can't be any comment. I'm sure because of the non-disclosure agreement about this. You know, about this. So, so yeah, uh, yeah, that's an interesting situation. Although I don't think that you're counting the the possible circumstance where the league just didn't want to deal with it. it just is like, okay, we're done.
2: It wouldn't
1: have escalated to the way it did if they just didn't want to deal with it. And they 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 fought Tom Brady, the face of the league, the face of the Patriots. They fought him over the slate gate in court. So they're they're not going to fight with with something that's basically questioning the integrity of the league? Come on, man. That don't even make sense.
3: Tap one. (laughs) Okay. All right. Next question. NFL owners voted to allow for defensive and offensive pass interference penalties or non-calls to be added to the on-demand reviewable category by coaches. Is this too much? Do you think
0: they're taking it too far? Oh, no, not at all. No, well, the reason is because they have a limited amount of time so that they can, you know, now if it were unlimited, you know, like Belichick wants, any play is reviewable. And okay, that's taken, that's like a 10 hour game. But no, I think uh, this will be interesting. To see how it works out, I like the I like the change, and I think it is needed. And I also think that my Ravens will not benefit at all. So we'll see.
1: Let's hope so. Let's
0: yeah, hope so. whatever.
1: Um, I think it's I think it's too much. I mean, there's a human element in sports. And that that should never change. That's I don't think it's ever going to change. What they're doing is basically, to me, adding the one time to games. We we spend too much time at football games waiting for commercial breaks to come back, you know, waiting for reviews that we've been used to seeing over the past few years with challenge flags. Now you're going to add this. It's it's just too much. At, at what point, you know, at what point does it end? At what point do we just accept the call and keep keep going forward?
3: Fair enough. Next question. Rap legend Eminem tweeted in all caps that he not only thinks that Detroit should get an Alliance of American Football franchise, but that the AAF should allow on-field fights to fully play out a la hockey. Is Slim Shady right? Well, I'll take this one. I mean, Um, you want to go? See you?
1: No, you got it. You got it.
0: Eminem, are you wearing your XFL from the 2000s cap sideways as you asked that question? That sounds like more of an XFL question, wanting fights. No way. No way. Don't let them fight. That's the whole reason that the XFL wasn't taken seriously, stuff like that. Don't let them fight. But I was confused with Johnny Manziel's response to, to Eminem. He just said, I got you, GOAT. So I'm like... What you gonna go start some fights, Johnny? What you gonna do?
1: Yeah, he's gonna be in the center. Of, it. of course, I feel like if was, it was sound firmly planted in cheek because I'm sure he knows, like everybody knows, football fights are the worst ones anyway. With all the padding, with the helmets on, what damage are you really doing? True. <laughs> you're probably doing more damage to yourself in your hands than anything else. So, um, and uh, you know, for this is fighting. For uh, fighting to be viable. (laughs) Pardon the pun. That's the real fight. They need to add
3: physical fights in there as well.
0: I would like to see a physical fight between them and the NFLPA.
3: Okay, next question. Today is MLB's opening day. Is it too soon? They're playing baseball.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: are you watching?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not watching CL. I'm just gonna bring it like it is. I'm sorry. I'm not it's too soon, CL. It's are you serious? It's too soon.
1: I feel like baseball is the one sport that starts too early and finishes too late. If they could make the the season a bit more concise, which they won't do, but if they did, <laughs> I might be more inclined to uh to pay attention to it a little bit more but as it is I mean I'm still in college basketball mode I'll go from this to NBA mode and uh, you know I won't even think about seeing who's in first place or anything with baseball till the middle of the summer let's say the All-Star break. yeah so (laughs) that might be why part of the reason anyway why it's uh,
0: lost its footing in the landscape of uh, sports in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll go, I'll go from this to football off-season activities to college baseball. College baseball in June. I can't wait for that. That's that. The word college world season is a lot of fun. So there you have it, folks. With that thorough diss of Major League Baseball, we're gonna call it a show. Have fun with your brackets with March Madness. CL tune tune in to CL, you know, on Twitter and and on the Athletic.com because his coverage is still coming strong and we're gonna let it go from there so my name is chris brown i'm cl brown and this is sibling rivalry sports on 97.9 the hill